Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. In today's episode, we're delighted to bring you another installment of case studies where we take a closer look at some of the cases that pertain to employment law, HR and the world of work. This month, all of our content will be focused primarily on workplace discrimination and all things related. And in this episode, we'll be following suit by discussing the recent case of Sarah Adam versus Dublin and Dunleary Education and Training Board. So to take a closer look at this case today, we're delighted to be joined again by Adrian Toomey, partner at Jacob and Toomey Solicitors. How are you, Adrian? I'm great, Owen. I'm good. It's great to be back with you. Brilliant stuff. Thanks for, thanks for joining us again. And again, we're joined by our very own Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Hi, Owen. Brilliant stuff. So we'll jump right in. Um, so I suppose just kind of set the context first a little bit, Liam. Um, if you could give us a quick, I suppose, little refresher overview of the law surrounding workplace discrimination, what are the grounds, what are the protections, that kind of stuff, just so we can be clear before we kick off. Yeah, absolutely, Owen. I mean, there, there's been a huge development, um, I suppose, probably over the last 20 or 30 years, really around employment equality. Um, so I suppose the main area in terms of, of discrimination and protection for, for workers is the Employment Equality Act, uh, 1998 to 2015. And, and essentially, those protect employees at work um, in relation to being discriminated against on a range of specific grounds. And really, the thrust of the legislation is very much to prevent discrimination at work, ensure that people are, are treated fairly and equally, um, and the, the Employment Equality Acts essentially outline, uh, outline outlaw um, discrimination in a wide range of employment and employment-related areas. And I suppose the key thing is that the definitions are quite broad. Um, the thrust and ethos of the legislation and indeed the case law is quite long term in terms of protecting employees at work. And I suppose the protections include recruitment and and selection and promotion, equal pay, working conditions, training or experience, dismissal and, and harassment, including sexual harassment. So I suppose the legislation is there very much to protect employees at work and, and the definitions are, are quite broad in terms of the specific grounds. So there's specific grounds under which somebody can, I suppose, claim that they're being discriminated against. Uh, and there's nine grounds on listed under the legislation, which are gender, civil status, family status, sexual orientation, religion, age, disability, race, and membership of the traveling community. And I suppose, you know, discrimination can be, I suppose, defined as direct or indirect. Um, to establish direct, direct discrimination, you need a direct uh, comparison. Um, and indirect is more subtle um, so it can be in relation to um, what happens where a requirement that may, may appear to be non-discriminatory 
actually affects a particular group or cohort or class of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the main thing I would say is that, you know, the legislation has been around quite a long period of time. Um, many employees are still unaware of it, I would say. And many employers, unfortunately, while they may be aware of the legislation, are not specifically aware in terms of how broad and, and what the parameters are in relation to the protections that employees have at work. 100% and I suppose it's reflected in, in cases like the, the one we're speaking about today still happening um, out there, unfortunately. Um, so I suppose over to yourself, Adrian, can you give us a bit of an overview of this case in particular? What were the, the circumstances, those kind of things? Sure, Owen. Um, I, it's an interesting case in that um, it could have, I think, happened at any point over the last 40 years because, um, uh, as as Liam said, there's been significant development in employment equality law over the last 20 years. But, I mean, the legislation, the original legislation goes back as far as 1974. And at the time, it was intended to tackle discrimination based on gender only. And we were we were in a situation where the EU in particular wanted to address discrimination against women at work. And unfortunately, we're still we're still finding that that's a challenge today and particularly around the area of pregnancy. And that's that's why this case is particularly interesting. I think it's amazing to think that uh, that women are still having to fight for equal treatment and non-discrimination um, in circumstances where they uh, have, <laughs> as is sometimes seen, the temerity to have a child um, and keep the uh, keep the population uh, going. Um, but this lady, in any event, um, Sarah Adam, uh, was an art teacher and uh, seems to uh, to be a relatively successful artist as well. Um, uh, and she took up employment with the Dun- Dublin and Dunleary Education and Training Board at one of their schools. The school isn't identified on the 1st of September 2019. So she came in as an art teacher on a fixed term contract, just covering effectively uh, the, the one year running through to the end of August 2020. And that's a time period, of course, when uh, you'll remember COVID hit us and knocked us all sideways. Um, but Ms. Adam wasn't just having to deal with the same challenges as the rest of us because she was pregnant and um, uh, was on maternity leave between mid-December 2019 and the 14th of June 2020. Um, I think the case records that she had twins, um, which was obviously a wonderful development in her life. Um, but appears to have had knock-on consequences in terms of her employment. So she starts as a fi- on a fixed-term contract for one year. Um, she goes on maternity leave in December 2019, and the school hired in another teacher to replace her during her maternity leave to, to provide cover. And that individual is just referred to in the decision as Ms. A. So Ms. A is a, a temporary hire into cover maternity leave. When she was, when Ms. Adam, the complainant, was going out on maternity leave, um, she had a, a conversation, it seems, with the school principal and was told that because she was on a fixed term contract, there would be an interview process at some stage in 2020 to 
hire a replacement for her, a temporary replacement to cover her maternity leave. Um, uh, sorry, after the replacement, um, that there would be an interview process to to fill the post for the following academic year. My apologies, Owen. Um, uh, and it was indicated to her, she says, that the role would be kept open for her and the interview process in 2020 would be a mere formality. In other words, she understood she was going to get renewed for another year. So that was fine. Off she went on maternity leave. Ms. A came in to, to backfill for her. Um, then COVID hit and the school was closed in the March. Um, an interview process did indeed come around um, that summer. And to Ms. Adams' surprise, her job was given, or what she saw as her job, was given to Ms. A, the lady who had been brought in to backfill or cover for her maternity leave. She felt that that was directly linked to the fact that she had been pregnant and had taken maternity leave, and she filed a claim with the Workplace Relations Commission under the Employment Equality Acts that, that Liam has described already, and the Maternity Protection Act, which of course uh, entitles women to return to the same or a similar job after they have taken maternity leave. Um, so she alleged that she was the victim of discrimination due to her gender and her family status. You have family status under the Acts if you have children, and of course, from a gender perspective, it's only women will ever end up taking maternity leave and going through pregnancy. So the European courts have for many years uh, concluded that any ill treatment of a woman because of her pregnancy is gender related discrimination. So those are the circumstances that led to the case, Owen. Brilliant. Um, so I suppose kind of there's a lot to lot to take in there and it's it's, it's great to have that, that detail, Adrian. I suppose what was the the key mistake I suppose is the word for it that was highlighted and what was the outcome of the case in the end? Well, in terms of the outcome, um, the adjudication officer, uh, who's a very experienced adjudication officer with particular expertise in handling equality matters, um, Mr. Bainham, he, he concluded that the school had not renewed her fixed term contract because of her pregnancy. And obviously that that constituted gender discrimination based on the European case law. Um, and uh, in, in reaching that decision, he was particularly influenced by uh, the interview process. And that interview process was, was intriguing um, because it seems that they ran competency-based interviews or what were meant to be competency-based interviews. But the adjudication officer uh, focused in on a number of aspects of Ms. Adams' interview. And he noted, firstly, that she was asked, the very first question when she came in the door was, you've worked in a lot of schools, haven't you? And so they were highlighting the fact that she had, she had been in a number of schools and not holding the one secure position for a number of years. Um, and he thought that that question had negative connotations. And he said that it was closed and direct, which uh, I think probably runs counter to what one would normally expect at competency-based interviews. He said it hadn't been asked of her the previous year. And the same question hadn't been put to Ms. A, the other candidate for the job. 
So he felt that from the, the word go, um, that interview was, he didn't say this, but he's implying that it was hostile to Ms. Adam. Then he looked at the interview notes and he noticed that the interview notes recorded that Ms. Adam had completed some continuing professional development, but not enough. So there's a, there's a negative comment there in the interview notes about her CPD record. But when he looked for, for information in relation to the other candidate's CPD, he found that she hadn't completed any CPD at all um, and said that it was irrational to find that Ms. Adam hadn't completed enough CPD when she had actually completed years of CPD. It was noted on her application form and the other candidate hadn't attended recent CPD training that Ms. Adam had been at. Um, then he went on to note that Ms. Adam was asked three times in the course of the interview to give examples that related to the previous academic year. So it's all very well and good at a competency-based interview, of course, to ask people for examples of when they've encountered a particular problem or how they've dealt with a particular issue or uh, to demonstrate that they've experience in a particular area. But he said three times she was asked to focus in on the preceding academic year. And of course, she'd been on maternity leave during that preceding academic year. So the questions were almost impossible for her to answer. And he said that that would have a discombobulating effect on any candidate. Um, then he compared the qualifications that Ms. Adam and the other candidate had, and he concluded that Ms. Adams' qualifications were better and more extensive. Um, he went on to conclude that her answers didn't have, didn't seem to have been taken fully into account in assessing her competencies. Uh, and so he formed a view as to the recruitment process that was uh, very much negative um, from the perspective of the uh, the ETB, the Education and Training Board, and that gave rise to an inference of discrimination against Ms. Adam. And I suppose as advocates for kind of good practice, all three of us, it is quite annoying to see these kind of cases. And look, all those three men discussing this today doesn't make it any less frustrating. So it is, it is awful to kind of see these things still happening. But look, it's great to get those, those details, Adrian, so we do appreciate that. Um, I suppose back to yourself, Liam. I suppose it's kind of clear that the Equalities Act and those kind of things were at the core of this case, but was there any kind of other policies, procedures that kind of had an influence on this? I suppose there's an element of fair procedures to it as well, Liam, isn't there? There is, Owen, and I, I, I have to agree with you. Um, in my experience, it's an area um, that, that gets talked about a lot, um, but, but, you know, unfortunately for every case that makes the media, I think there's probably 10 or 12 different cases where, where female employees... Um, who've either been pregnant or, or discriminated at, against at work, don't take claims. Um, and in my experience at Inside HR, we field a lot of calls, um, Owen and Adrian, particularly around probation and women returning to the workforce after maternity leave. And I never cease to be amazed that, you know, one, we can have a female member of staff who is on probation, um, goes into their employer and says, good news, I'm pregnant. And all of a sudden, uh, there are performance issues 
uh, with that particular employee, which lo and behold, Owen, have never been addressed hitherto. But the minute the woman says, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant, um, these performance issues come out of the sky miraculously. Uh, and secondly, the, the second point I'd make is in relation to women returning to the workforce uh, post-maternity um, leave is, is two things. One, again, performance issues seem to miraculously appear, which were never there before. And secondly, what often happens, Owen, is you have a situation, for instance, with an accountant, and let's say the the, the, the woman who's going on maternity leave is on 60,000 per annum. A relief accountant is hired in. They might only be paid, for instance, 40,000 per annum. And, and the employer will say, well, you know, why would I take, you know, the, the, the senior accountant back or the, the higher paid accountant back uh, when I can, you know, maintain the employment um, con- con- entirely contrary to employment legislation of the relief accountant. So I think there are real underlying issues here in society that, that, that prevail. Um, and, all, and Adrian is absolutely correct. Um, the legislation has been out, uh, around for years. Unfortunately, some employers... Um, don't implement the, the the spirit and the terms of the legislation as 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 intended. In relation to this case, from the, the employer point of view, I think a lot of it comes back to the recruitment and selection policy. Um, a lot of it comes back to something which we would encourage employers to do is the whole area of interview skills training, which I think has been shown up massively in terms of the questions that were asked and essentially an interview bias which appears to have have come across. Um, so certainly, you know, I think from the point of view of the organization, recruitment and selection, how the interview panel is configured um, in terms of, um, you know, uh, gender equality and, and the interview panel, and really that the questions that any candidate is asked, that they be relevant and pertinent to the role, uh, that the process be fair and objective and independent. Um, and essentially, that the that the you know basic tenets of, of fairness and equality at work would be observed. So I certainly think, from you know, this is a case. Owen, I agree wholeheartedly with with Adrian, which could happen in any county, in any town, in any place right across the country. And unfortunately, we have many many examples, certainly at Inside HR, where we get calls. You know, I've just found out that this particular employee is pregnant. All of a sudden, I want to get rid or I want to terminate the employment of this particular employee. And when you start asking questions, well, you know, how long has this employee been with it? Any live warnings on file, any performance review forms which would indicate difficulties with, oh, no, there's nothing like that. But, I, you, you know, all of a sudden, um, I, suddenly there are performance-related performance issues. So I think it's a very interesting case. Unfortunately, it's not unique, Owen. Um, and I do think it, it highlights uh, many, many examples where women are not treated fairly mm-hmm. at work, unfortunately. Yeah. I suppose a similar question to yourself, Adrian. Are there any key elements from your perspective? I know you've alluded to a couple of them already, but I suppose when it comes to, in particular, how the adjudicating body made their decision, was there any, out, out, I suppose, particularly outstanding elements for, for you? Yeah, uh, well, I think Liam's highlighted a number of key points there. And I'd agree with everything he said, but it, it strikes me that that this is a case that is very sad because it's nearly 50 years since we've got, got the first employment equality legislation in this country. And here we are 
50 years later, and we're still dealing with situations where women are paying a price for for having children. And it's just utterly unacceptable. But coming back to your question, Owen, and apologies for straying from it. Um, I might equally have said 40 years ago that it's important that employers ask the same questions of all candidates, that their recruitment processes are blind to gender, that their recruitment processes are not in any way influenced by the fact that somebody has children or has taken maternity leave, which is a statutory right, a long-standing statutory right, and that they're not in any way penalized for, uh, as I say, having the temerity to have a child and create the next generation of taxpayers. Um, I, I think I think Ms. Adam was fortunate in some ways that she got a really excellent adjudication officer who's willing to make brave decisions and who is familiar in detail with employment equality legislation. She might not have been that lucky. And I have seen cases over the years where women have taken on this type of discrimination and not succeeded with their claims. Um, so it's heartening to to see an adjudication officer who's willing to stand up and be counted when it comes to making what could be a tough decision in order to protect a female employee and her rights. Now, there were other aspects to the case, I, I should say. You know, there were uh, allegations of harassment, etc. Um, but the core focus of the decision is on that recruitment process. And it's just so important that interviewers are trained properly and know what they're doing and know what impact the legislation has on the process that they're handling and stick to pre-prepared questions mm -hmm. and ask the very same pre-prepared questions of all candidates. Um, I never mentioned, of course, that uh, when, when Ms. Adam won her case, she was awarded compensation and the compensation in this case was 35,000 euros which is a pretty substantial amount of money uh, for a school to be paying out. Um, and so unnecessary, because it does seem that, not to in any way uh, criticize Ms. A, I don't know who the lady is, I don't know, she could be a superb art teacher, I'm sure she is, but on paper it certainly looked like Ms. Adam was the best qualified candidate. She had been doing some innovative work in terms of um, giving museum tours or gallery tours to students online, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, it, it's just so sad mm -hmm. that uh, that the students lost the benefit of her teaching and that she lost the benefit of the employment. Um, but there's one other point, I suppose, that's that's worth noting as well, Owen, if you'll forgive me and I'll, uh, just allow me to, to touch on it. And that's this use of fixed term contracts. I mean, this is a school we're talking about, a school that taught art and that presumably needed to have an art teacher on an ongoing basis. And what baffles me is why it was seem, deemed appropriate to just fill that position on a fixed term contract basis and re-interview every year. It's, you know, you're, you're reinventing the wheel unnecessarily. Why do they not just recruit an art teacher, appoint them on a permanent basis? And if there were problems during probation, deal with that. But um, 
I, I think I think we still see two forms of abuse happening in in Irish workplaces that that are evidenced in this particular case. One is discrimination against women who um, who become pregnant and take maternity leave, and the second is uh, this unnecessary use of fixed term contracts, which leaves employees unable to get mortgages. Uh, having no security of employment, that type of thing. So there, there are two significant issues. They are old issues that have been recurring time and time again in Irish workplaces. And yet we don't seem to be able to move on beyond them. And and that, I think, is the tragedy of the case. 100%. I suppose, final note to yourself, then, Liam, I suppose when it comes to HR teams, businesses looking to take some learnings from this case, what would you advise, Liam? I suppose a lot of it is, I think we said it's a lot in the podcast, the law is almost the bare minimum here. It's a lot about practices and actually mm-hmm. making sure you understand it and implement it correctly, Liam, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, Owen. Um, I, I think it's interesting too, um, you know, and I, again, I'm not, not familiar with the configuration of the interview panel or the, the board and how that was configured and who decided who, who was on the board and who wasn't on the board. But I think that's something that organizations really need to look at, Owen, um, in terms of, you know, what are the, you know, let's get the local chairperson of the GAA club or let's get the local um, whoever it is. Um, certainly my experience, and I would echo what what Adrian has said, whoever is on the interview board uh, needs to be appropriately trained in interview skills, questions, and, in, you know, a basic course in my view in terms of employment legislation because ultimately... Th- whoever's on the board is making uh, a serious decision which can have massive ramifications for those attending interviews and also for the organization they are in effect representing. And I think too often there's a sort of casual approach. Let's put together a board. Let's have a few interviews. How difficult can it be? What could possibly go wrong? And, you know, here we have an example of where it has gone quite badly wrong. Um, And, you know, at a minimum, I think, think about who is going to conduct the interviews, what qualifications do they have, what training do they have, how aware are they of employment legislation, have they been trained on interview skills, um, you know, if it's a competency-based process, are they familiar with the competencies, have they seen the job description, have they seen the questions that they're going to be asked, is there, as, as Adrian points out, continuity in terms of the questions that are being asked to each candidate so that you have a fair and impartial uh, process and somebody should be coordinating that. So I, I definitely think one of the things people can can take out of this, this case, hopefully, is that they try and work to prevent these types of cases reoccurring. Because Adrian is right, you know, this is going on, unfortunately, on for a long, long time and I don't see any sign of it disappearing. Um, so I would emphasize, you know, being careful who you put on the interview panel, making sure they're trained on employment legislation and interview skills training, and that there is some coordinator there who will be there to chair the interview and make sure that there is continuity in terms of the questions and the process for all candidates. 100%. And look, it's great to highlight these kind of cases. And hopefully when we come back to this kind of thing in a few years, fingers crossed, we won't have to be highlighting, highlighting them as frequently as we do, because again, the protections are there. It should be 
it should be something that we don't we don't hear much about unfortunately but look thank you Liam and Adrian for a very insightful discussion on that case a lot of learnings a lot of detail there so really appreciate your your time and your insights there so really appreciate that thank you everyone for listening we'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast so don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels of course we always have ear to the ground for cases like these but if there's any cases or even topics you'd like us to talk about in the future make sure to reach out to us as well and as always for HR consultancy services and management you can trust get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie thank you Adrian and thank you Liam thanks Owen thanks Owen thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember... If you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.